You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. What's up, 10 o'clock? How are you guys doing? All right. Listen, if you see Humby out there, we just, he obviously needs a hug, okay? Tell, tell him, you know what? We love you. You don't have to be a bully, you know? Jesus loves you. It's going to be okay, Humby. It's, it's so great to be back with you guys as we continue our Peace in the Promise series. Um, before we get started, is it cool if we just pray together really quick? Father God, I want to thank you for every single person um, that is here today. God, we thank you that you've given us a place where we can worship you freely. God, I ask that you will just open up our hearts and minds, remove any barriers, any distractions from things that may have happened during the week or on the weekend. God, just know we have a clean slate here with you, Father. Just ask that you just create a space where we can get to know you more, Father, and just hear your message. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, as you guys know, we are right in the middle of celebrating as a city our 300th year. Now, this celebration kicked off with a huge party at Hemisphere. There were fireworks, REO Speedwagon was there. Because nothing says City on the Rise like REO Speedwagon. How cool of the city to book a band that was popular 300 years ago. <laughs> and what the heck is a speed wagon anyway? A speed wagon sounds like something a man buys when he's going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> the longer you know Humby, you'll know that he'll eventually own one. <laughs> but I think it's great that we're celebrating 300 years, everything that our city has accomplished. Now, many of you guys know that our city was established by Spanish colonists, missionaries, and the indigenous Payaya Indians that had lived here for thousands of years. Now, this group, with exception of the indigenous, left a home where they were comfortable to go somewhere far away to be a part of something bigger than themselves. See, they found purpose in a promise. And for the missionaries, it was to spread the word of God and establish a mission here in San Antonio. And that mission would be San Antonio de Valero that we all know now as the Alamo. And the Alamo, along with the other missions, um, would eventually become UNESCO World Heritage Sites. It is incredible what has been accomplished in the name of God throughout our history. And uh, a couple summers ago, my wife and I had a chance to visit another UNESCO World Heritage Site in Barcelona, uh, Spain, and it's called the Sagrada Familia. Anybody ever been there? A couple people? Well, this is uh, an incredible, incredible basilica in, uh, in Spain, and it's said to be the most extraordinary interpretation of Gothic architecture since the Middle Ages. The architect Antonio, Antonio Gaudí um, took his inspiration from creation. And so if you look at some of the columns uh, in the building, you see how they kind of look like tree trunks, like nature. So they start off really big at the bottom, and as they go up, they branch out like trees. Um, every curve in this building has a purpose, has a story. And uh, the stained glass windows illuminates a color unlike anything I've ever seen before. This building is truly spectacular. 
But here's the best thing about this building, is that it's not complete. This building was started in 1882, and it will not be complete until the year 2028, 140 years after it began. Which means the people that started this project, including architect Gaudi, who died in 1926, knew that this project would never be finished in their lifetime, and that it would be a project that would be multi-generational. But they did it because they found purpose and a promise, and they decided that they wanted to be a part of something that would honor God for generations to come. And so I found great inspiration from hearing this story. And so this is going to be our big idea today. Start something that you can't finish. Now, growing up, you guys may have heard the opposite, right? You better not start something unless you can finish it, right? We've heard that. But I'm not talking about mowing the lawn or, you know, picking up your chones or <laughs> going to college, those are things that you should and can finish. No, I'm talking about dedicating your life or a piece of your life to a higher purpose. Many of you are already doing this. You know, there are plenty of you who have served or are serving in the military or are a military spouse. Many of you are educators or administrators, firemen, counselors, parents, grandparents, Many of you do this on the weekend here at City Church, serving in children's ministry, or greeting people as they walk in, helping them find parking, or serving at City Youth on Wednesdays. And many of you are serving through your tithes and offerings. See, you guys should see this work as connecting to a higher purpose, to starting something that you may not live to see finished. Well, as we continue this work as a church, together, there are a couple things that we should know. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. And for me, I'm not focused on quick fixes. I'm actually focused on transformational change. And the kind of transformational change is what Ezra and Zerubbabel from the Old Testament were faced with. See, Ezra, Ezra was a priest. He was a scribe. He was a great leader. His name actually means help. And his entire life was dedicated to serving God and serving God's people. It's believed that he wrote the first and second chronicles. He wrote Ezra, Nehemiah, and Psalm 119. Now, here's what was going on during the book of Ezra. It was 538 uh, years before Christ, 48 years after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and carried the Jews away to Babylon as captives. Now, Babylon ended up getting overthrown by a Persian king, King Cyrus, who ruled over the entire region uh, of Assyria and Babylon. And Cyrus had a different method when it came to ruling over his people. See, he wanted to give them a little bit of freedom. And so what he did is he actually gave the Jews their freedom and allowed them to go back to their homeland to rebuild their temple. But even though he did this, there were 12 tribes of Israel. Only two of them responded. See, things were so fractured. Morale was so low that they didn't begin restoring their temple until 70 years after being in captivity. Now, I know that some of us in here may have done a little time, but let's assume nobody has, okay? 
just to get a sense for what the vibe must have been during this time, okay? So let's just say, uh, think about a time where you were maybe not in captivity, but just delayed, right? So maybe you were like at the airport and your flight was delayed for maybe hours. Uh, Maybe the flight was even canceled, okay? And when you finally got home, you found out the airline destroyed your house. How upset would you be? Now multiply that by 70 years. That's how long they had been in captivity. See, in spite of this, Ezra was faithful. So in Ezra 9.8, it says, Now for a short time, O Lord our God, you have been gracious, and you have let some of us escape from slavery and live in safety in your holy place. You have let us escape from slavery and have given us what? new life. See, what Ezra was referring to is restoration of not only the temple, but the spiritual passion of God's people. What a beautiful opportunity to have been a part of restoring not only a place of worship, but restoring people, God's people. How cool would that have been? Oh, wait, that's what many of you are a part of right now through our Restore campaign right? See, the restoration of this building was not just about restoring the building. It's about restoring people's lives and restoring the city. See, if you're new here, you maybe didn't know that next door, I spent about three years doing youth ministry in parts of, of where it smelled like the porta potty you're afraid to walk into at Fiesta. That's what it smelled like. And it wasn't too long ago where fire and electrical codes were more suggested practices than mandatory. (laughs) And because we didn't own the building, for years, the production and worship teams used to have to get here at 5.30 in the morning to set up for a 10 o'clock service. Why do you think they did that? Why were those people so committed? Is it because this is our temple? Do you feel like it's because this is our temple? No, this is just a building. God was working through this place when it smelled like a porta potty, okay? This is a building. This has never been about restoring a building. It's about what God was gonna do in people's lives and through people when they came to the building. It was always about that. It will always be about that. We feel that this is a place of worship, but the real temple is you. And I want you guys to say that with me. I want you to say, I am the temple, all right? Ready? I am the temple. Thank you. You see, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. See, this is not the temple. You are the temple, no matter what you've been through, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what has happened to you, you have a role to play. Now, don't get me wrong. We love when you invite people to church. This is a safe space where we can get free of judgment, hear God's word, worship him, feel his love. But what we want more than anything is for you to feel convicted and inspired to go be the temple wherever you are. Because we could never add enough services that would compare to the kind of impact that you can have where you're already working. 
where you work out, in your family's lives, where you like to hang out. See, you are the temple. But after you know that you're the temple, it's important that you believe that restoration is possible. See, you may not think you have the power to release, repair, revive your own life or someone else's. And you know what? You may be right. But that's not what we're requiring, and that's not what God's requiring. What he requires is for you to know the person who can. Ezra 9.9 says, what? For we were what? Slaves. Jesus offers freedom to us through what he did on the cross. We are no longer slaves to sin. It's been forgiven, and we enter into a relationship with Christ. When we enter into a relationship with Christ, we are released from whatever has been holding us back. Why? Because he is God. We are not. Ezra was one of the most faithful men of God in the Bible, and above all else, he encouraged the Jewish people to have a relationship with God. In fact, Timothy Keller writes in his book, Prayer, he says, it's remarkable that in all of his writings, the Apostle Paul, prayers for his friends contain no appeals for a change in their circumstances. See, undoubtedly, they face persecution, death from disease, death from powerful forces, and separation from loved ones. But in spite of all this, he didn't pray to change their circumstances. He didn't pray for their enemies to be crushed. You know what he prayed more than anything for? He prayed for what he knew would be the most impactful thing for them. He prayed that they would know God a little better. Why? Because like Jennifer said last week, there is power in God's promise. When we are broken, know that there is power in his promise. Ezekiel 37, 4, 6 says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am what? The Lord. See, it's not, it's just so important not to lose sight that it's God that does the work. The God that has the power to bring back people from the dead, not our own plans. Proverbs 16.33 says, we may throw dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Now, side note, I don't think they were playing craps in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, These were like dice. You get the idea. The important thing to remember is that we can make all the plans that we want, but if God's not in them, it doesn't matter. The Jewish people knew this. The next thing, the third thing we got to remember when we're doing work that we will never live to see finished is that it's going to be hard. It will be hard. You see, when the Jewish people went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, there were people there that didn't want to see the work complete. These were people that worshiped many gods. And so they offered to help the Jews rebuild their temple. But the Jews knew these people did not 
have their best interests at heart. And so it's also important to remember when we're doing God's work and when we are restoring our lives and others to separate ourselves from people who we know don't have our best interests at heart. Ezra 4, 3 through 6 says, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua, Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers, houses of Israel, said to them, You may do nothing with us to build house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord of God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, had commanded us. Then the people, the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of King Cyrus and even into the next king, King Darius. See, when you're doing God's work, that you will never live to see finished, it's going to be hard. And you have to believe that if there's a higher power, there's also a lower power that is not going to want to see this work complete. You know, when we go home, we have lights in our house. We have lights in our cars. Why? Because we anticipate the darkness, right? Now, I know we don't really have a big winter here in San Antonio, but during that three weeks of winter, we don't hibernate, right? No, our grandmas make tamales, right? We just get busy. So it's important to understand that the work is going to be hard and we shouldn't be discouraged because the work is worth it. It's not going to be easy. When you've committed to connecting to work that will outlive you, you have to know that the transformation that's going to happen is worth whatever pain you're going to experience along the way. See, through this church, we've seen students begin a relationship with Christ. We've seen adults baptized. We've seen adults freed from addictions. We've seen marriages saved. And we've seen money invested in local missions and missions around the world. We should be proud of the work God has done through this church. It hasn't been easy, but it's been worth it. And as Hamby mentioned, we're getting ready to celebrate 10 years of being a church. And there are many people that began that journey, started this church, that are no longer with us. But you know what? Because of what they did, many of you know Christ that wouldn't have known him. And I can attest that there was a group of people, 50 people, 26 years ago, that began a journey at Bandera Road that if they wouldn't have done what they've done, I would still be broken. I would still be lost. And I wouldn't be up here with you today. The work is worth it. And throughout our history, there have been many that we know that have dedicated their lives and their work to a higher purpose. People like Cesar Chavez, MLK, Lincoln, and Benazir Bhutto. If you don't know who Benazir Bhutto is, she was actually the first female prime minister in Pakistan, and actually the first female of a democratic government in a Muslim-majority country. And many of them, like Jesus' disciples, gave everything, their lives, to be a part of something 
that they would never live to see finished, but a part of work that was greater than themselves. And I wonder what would happen if we could rewind time and say, hey, look, you're doing this work, but it's going to cost you your life. What would they say? Would they be like, wait a minute, I'm going to dedicate my entire life's work to fighting for, inequal- for equality, for fighting for equal rights, and then I'm going to get shot? Maybe I should just sell timeshares. I don't know. I don't know. Do you think that's what they would say? You know what I think they would say? What a small price to pay. What a small price to pay. Now, you might say, Carlos, I love Jesus, but I just want to drive a golf cart around and help people find their cars, right? Like, I'm not trying to get shot, you know, calm down. (laughs) I don't have influence. I don't have money. I'm not an evangelist. Well, I want to tell you that you have a role to play. Last week, we buried my 99-year-old grandmother. She would have been 100 years old on December 24th. And I had an opportunity to share some memories of her. And what I remember about her is that growing up, she was always serving. She wanted to cook you a meal. She wanted to do something for you. And I lived in Sacramento, California. That's where I grew up. Um, We would come to Alvin, Texas to see her. And when she would visit us, she didn't want to rest. I remember even as a kid saying, Grandma, chill out. Just you're on vacation, right? But she wanted to be cooking food for us. She wanted to be cleaning the house. And I remember that when we would make the trip from Texas to, I'm sorry, from California to Texas, she would be the first person to greet us no matter what time we made it in. And she was the first person to give up her room so we would have a place to sleep. She was loyal. Her husband died when she was 22 years old. She had three kids. And she worked for 30 years to support her family. She became a citizen of this country at 69 years old. And as long as I knew her, she was loyal to her husband. She never remarried. She actually would still wear her wedding ring. In fact, towards the end of her life, she had dementia. She didn't really remember things. And she met my father-in-law several times. And uh, we were uh, at his house for Thanksgiving. And when she came in, he went to give her a kiss, and she slapped him. (laughs) She's like, dude, I'm married. Who the heck are you? See, she wasn't a wealthy woman. She didn't have much to give, but yet she gave everything she had. And she was more of a reflection of Jesus Christ than anybody else I've ever met. You may not be wealthy. You may not be called to lay down your life for something bigger than you. But don't let it stop you from understanding that you can still give everything that you have. You can be that for your family. It doesn't require money. It doesn't require fame. And it doesn't require an education. And when you give all you have to help lay a foundation that will be here well after you are not, you are dedicating your life to a purpose that is far greater than anything else you could give. And that is what Ezra understood. 
That's what my grandmother and Gaudi, the architect, understood. And that is what we all have an opportunity to do today, if not for anything else, but to say, God, you are good. You have changed my life, and you are good. And that's what the Jewish people did when they laid the foundation of the temple. Ezra 3.11 says, they sang the Lord's praises, repeating the refrain, the Lord is good, and his love for Israel is eternal. Everyone shouted with all their might, praising the Lord, because the work on the foundation of the temple had been started. The Jews were empowered to use their unique gifts to lay the foundation for the temple, and that's what they did. And when they completed it, they didn't sit around saying, man, look how awesome we are. You know what they did? They gave thanks to God. They said, he is good, and his love for Israel is eternal. They gave all they had in glorifying God, and they started something they would never live to see finished, not even knowing that that same God that they would worship, that they would build this temple for, would one day send his only son to come to earth to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be one with him. They didn't even know that, yet they gave everything. So let us be the kind of church, knowing what we know, that understands that we can be the temple wherever we go, and that we have an opportunity to impact the world, that believes that restoration is possible in our own lives and in others, and that does not quit when the work gets hard, and that accepts that we all have a role to play no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, no matter what mistakes we have made. Because we don't know how long we have on this earth, but how beautiful it would be to know that we lived a life with purpose and allowed ourselves to be used by God to impact this generation and generations to come. Let's pray, guys. Lord, you are good, and your love for us is eternal. Lord, thank you for what you've done in San Antonio and what you're going to continue to do. Lord, we thank you for what you've done through City Church and what you're going to continue to do. Lord, we thank you for what you've done through Restore and what you're going to continue to do. Lord God, we ask you to give us an opportunity to serve you in ways we never thought would be possible, to let your kingdom come here on earth, to let your will be done. Lord, let us not give up when the work gets hard. Lord, empower us to use the unique gifts that you blessed all of us with to serve others. And Lord God, let us know that we all have an opportunity to have an impact on our city and on our world. God, we just ask that you bless us and fire us up so that we can leave this place knowing that your kingdom will exist here on earth, Father God, through us. 
God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.